Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. Hey, hi, Anna Shayla. How's it going? What's up, y'all? I'm good. I've been doing a whirlwind tour. Well, not really, but currently I'm my mom and my brother's house. So if y'all hear some cocoa melon or a little baby in the background, apologies in advance. <laughs> yes, we're still in the pandemic and still doing remote recordings. And and you're in Arizona, to be precise. So traveling, which yes, means you I'm missed the, the Mexico City earthquake. So grateful that you are safe and sound on this side of the border. Yes. And all my family is all okay, too. Gracias a Dios. So, yes. What's up with you, Brenda? <laughs> I'm doing great. But I did. I have seen some terrifying uh, video of people in the venicular mm-hmm. freaking flying around like... <laughs> Restando to every fucking God they could think of because it's terrifying. I certainly do not want to be, uh, first of all, I, I don't think I'll ever take Del Vinicular, but absolutely never, ever, now that I've seen people literally swinging back and forth during this freaking earthquake. Wait, what's the Vinicular? It, uh, well, I'm not exactly sure, but the videos are from Mexico City. People take, apparently, it's like a public transit that takes you from, I don't know, higher ground to lower ground like as a regular occurrence and people were swinging in the air. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yes, oh, completely pobrecitos. terrifying. <laughs> All right, so I'm doing great. So who we have today, I'm super excited about this conversation. Uh, we spoke to two fantastic women that are using their platforms to help tell our stories and to also help change policy in a way that recognizes our humanity particularly when we're talking about Latinos and the justice system and police violence against Latinos. So who we have today, we have Nicole Chavez, who is a breaking and trends writer on CNN's race and equality team based in San Antonio, Texas. She is a border gal. She's got such a great perspective and she's going to tell us a little bit about her approach to telling our stories. And then we have the fantastic Unices Hernandez, director and co-founder of La Defensa, You're going to learn a little bit more about La Defensa in just a minute. And so we'll get right into it after this teeny tiny break. For Latinx Heritage Month, Tamarindo is offering an introduction to podcasting workshops so we can get more of our voices and stories in the podcast space. Join us on September 29th at 5 p.m. Pacific time via Zoom, and we'll give you all the basics on how to create your podcast from concept to monetizing. Go to tamarindopodcast.com to sign up for only $15. Once again, that is on September 29th at 5 p.m. Pacific. Today, we're going to talk to two women that are using their voice to ensure that the lived experiences of people of color in our community are seen, that those lives are valued, 
and through the work that they do both in storytelling and policymaking. And in many cases, those two elements are interconnected, right? Storytelling and the way we are represented in the community does impact policy. So first we have um, Eunice Hernandez, a policy advocate for communities most devastated by criminalization, the war on drugs and mass incarceration. She is the director and co-founder of La Defensa in Los Angeles. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mil gracias. Super excited to get to see you in this way. Next, we have Nicole Chavez from CNN's Race and Equality team. Nicole reports about how race relations and inequality impact the lives of people of color. She reported extensively about the aftermath of the 2019 Walmart shooting in El Paso, where she's from. And um, as folks know, this is the, the deadliest attack on Latinos in modern history. So Nicole's done some really important work. Welcome, Nicole. Hola, hola. Thank you for having me. Really great to have the both of you. So let's get right into it. And Nicole, I'd love to start with you. And you've done some excellent reporting on how Latinos fit into the national debate. Um, in this case, I want to talk about the, how Latinos fit into the debate in police, on police brutality over police brutality. So what have you learned in your reporting as it relates to the Latino community and police brutality? You know, we don't hear as much about this in the news. So tell us a little bit about what you've learned. Of course, uh you know, as you mentioned, we don't really hear um, as much on this on the news, you know, but Latinos are often left out of the conversation. But thousands of Latinos have been killed by police for decades. In the 1970s, there were large protests in cities like Los Angeles and Albuquerque, New Mexico. Latinos were, were speaking up and, you know, for example, in Dallas, too, um, as many as 5,000 people um were, uh, you know, taking the streets in also in the 1970s after Santos Rodriguez, uh, a 12-year-old boy, you know, was shot in the head by a police officer who was playing Russian uh, roulette. You know, almost 50 years after his murder, um, the police chief apologized for this, but still is not right. People all over the country are still speaking up on this issue. Many are the families of people uh, who have been killed by police, but they are finding that it's hard to get any kind of traction around this issue. And their efforts uh, rarely lead to nationwide protest. You know, earlier this year, we heard about Adam Toledo in Chicago. And while it really outraged the whole country, we didn't see nationwide protests. You know, and uh, what another thing is that many, if not most people, can remember one or two names of Latinos or Latinas killed by police. You know, their names are not engraved in the public memory, like the names of people like George Floyd or Michael Brown. And, you know, that doesn't mean that we don't care, Latinos don't care about this, or that we're not impacted. Uh, as you mentioned, um, we don't get a lot of coverage on this. And what we really see on the news is Story Center around black trauma, black victims, you know, black um, organizers who are really doing work in this area. And it's really not the same uh, for Latinos. You know, we're allies, but we're not getting the same coverage. You know, there are not as many stories and the stories that they are out there, they don't mention ethnicity or names. And they are simply um, stories about, oh, an officer involved shooting that turned fatal or a uh, uh, dead while in custody, but no, not many details at all. 
to get you a little bit of a an idea, you know, of, of how um, widespread is this issue, you know, a recent report estimated that 2,600 Latinos uh, died were died while in custody of law enforcement or were killed by police in the past six years. But that number is still considered an undercount. You know why? Because there is not really strong data on this. There is not a federal database that collects um, data on police violence. And, you know, a number of, because of this, um, a number of activists and media outlets have tried to collect data, but they are facing many challenges. Some of those challenges is that you know, law enforcement agencies, they don't capture ethnicity data. And also the Hispanic surnames are often misspelled or they use, you know, the last name as middle names. And, you know, it's all like messed up. How can I explain to other people um, how big is this issue, right? So I keep thinking of this example that I'm going to share right now. And this is to- completely not a scientific method at all. It's just like a quick, easy way uh, for anybody uh, to get an idea. So if you go to Instagram and open the search tab, uh, and then you type justice four or justice and the number four, very quickly, you'll see that there are um, many accounts and hashtags popping up. Like, for example, justice for Chan Monterrosa, justice for Mario Gonzalez, justice for Andres Guardado. You know, many of these accounts are run by people who have lost a loved one to police brutality and who are still trying to hold police accountable, no matter if they're, they, they lost their loved ones months ago or years ago. You know, they are still putting their stories out there, you know, and it's just so sad because there's really so many of these accounts. So when you, yeah, yeah, uh, one more thing is that when you start looking uh, into this issue, you know, the first thing that you'll notice is that, you know, people directly impacted are the ones leading the calls to action. You know, they are organizing protests, they are making calls, they are testifying in front of lawmakers. You know, and yes, they are Latino organizers in uh, cities large and small who are supporting them. Uh, but one thing that I've noticed is that there's not a national movement or national voice that is really bring them all of this, bringing all of these people together. For me, it just means that as a community, you know, as Latinos, there's like so much more than we can do about this particular issue. You know, many par- many of our parents, uh, told us growing up that you gotta work hard, you gotta keep your heads down, you know, just keep working hard, you know? But for many, like, that's not an option anymore because there's so much pain and so much mourning. So yeah, like, there's, there's, this is a real issue that impacts so many people. And like, even though there's not as many, you know, media coverage, you know, it's something that needs to be highlighted constantly. Thank you so much. And and I, I really appreciate you touching upon the difficulty of capturing the data, which your num- the numbers you shared already are alarming. And as, as we know, that that could be an undercount. And of course, too, we recognize that Latinos can be black. And so when we talk about the outrage and, and what's happening to black lives, that includes Latinos in many cases. 
So we know that there's a disproportionate amount of violence against people of color. And I know that you also mentioned it, you know, organizers and are, um, are starting to support these families are doing tremendous work. And I really want to now pivot to someone that is a fantastic organizer that um, has really done a fantastic job in her short life. You know, she's very young and has done some, some tremendous things, including starting this great organization, La Defensa. La Defensa. And so... I would love, Eunice, please tell us about um, the work that you do. Tell us about La Defensa, which is fantastic. And, I'm, you know, is a great example of what can happen when people come together and organize to make some changes and hold people accountable. Yes. Thank you so much, Brenda, for that question. And if I could add a little bit to that first question around media and just to take a step back on two things is that. Locally, what we see, even when, when like, for example, the L.A. Times talks about a, a police, you know, shooting somebody, it's usually like officer involved shooting in East L.A. or officer involved shooting at this location or with man with the knife and it ends up being a lighter. And so even when media does talk about it, it's in a way that really kind of dehumanizes the person and takes away the accountability and responsibility of law enforcement for what they have done and blames the individual. And many times we're seeing is that, you know, these folks were murdered or killed by, a, you know, state sanctioned violence that didn't need to happen or people suffering through mental health crisis. So I just, that's one thing I did want to add that even the way media talks about it needs to be addressed. And then also, um, you know, you, you said, Caedita, te ves, te ven mas bonitos, or, you know, that's what we hear in our communities. Like, there's, um, especially with police violence um, and, and have that vision for our communities, it just shows like the spectrum of messaging that we need to have for the Latino community. Like we're not monolithic and, you know, some messaging is going to work for Afro-Latinos and then some messaging really needs to be tailored to our conservative elders who maybe are seeing like, oh, you know, it's your responsibility. You had the tools to succeed in life and you ended up in jail. Or like for many of our folks, especially for our young folks, they're criminalized. Like law enforcement comes for them. At least that's what's been my cousin's experience. Um, you know, we live in Northeast LA and so like Cypress Park, like all these places where there's been heavily law enforcement presence and like uh, gang injunction lists and, and putting people on there. So there's a history of that. So I just want to add that. And but I'll be quick into the to the next answer of La Defensa. And, you know, what are some ways that we're trying to change this and the disproportionate amount of violence that's happening on communities of color, but also that is like state sanctioned. So like done by the governments themselves. La Defensa was founded because we in L.A. County, we have one of the largest jail systems in the entire world. Uh, Latinos are overrepresented in all numbers and in all jails, whether it's, you know, the, the demographic of male, whether it's female or women or folks who are in the K6G who are transgender or gender nonconforming. We are definitely overrepresented in the jails, as well as our black community members who are disproportionately at the highest numbers in incarcerated. But like not only is the population big, but most of our folks in the jails, if they're black and brown, are categorized and in, in more uh, high observing like jail cells. So higher security. The people who were released at the lowest numbers last year because of covid were black and brown women, particularly black women. What we're seeing is that Latinos are paying some of the highest amounts of bail in the state and in that county especially. So when we talk about violence through these governmental agencies and it's, you know, the taking of life by law enforcement. So what we're trying to do is say, we need to invest in community. So La Defensa not only tries to hold, you know, law enforcement accountable and the judiciary, like the judges accountable is one of our biggest roles because they separate our families. They could, they're the determining factor of like saying, you're gonna go to prison, you're gonna go to jail, you're gonna be free. 
And so, and, and then also this justice reinvestment piece, which, which is moving the money so that our folks don't get criminalized. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about a few things later, but this goes into why a lot of our, our, my colleagues and myself do the work is because we've seen that, you know, the lack of investment has equaled over-criminalization, which has led to these balloon jail populations representing black and brown communities. You can follow the money end. Last thing I'll say is that you can even look at the zip codes where most of the people are coming from into the LA County jail system. It's Pacoima, it's Long Beach, it's Pomona, it's South LA. And you can even cross-reference those zip codes with the zip codes in LAUSD where the most kids are getting uh, suspended or taken out of school for being criminalized. So all of these different layers are on black and brown communities, both like the loss of life and, and the harm of violence done by state sanctioned like law enforcement and also these other factors of yeah you're going to criminalize our folks and give them collateral consequences and criminalize them because they don't have access to services and they have mental health crises or other behavioral health issues that you know our governments had rather criminalize than actually support in community thank you so much for sharing that i think that really gives a glimpse of the systemic things that are that are uh, contributing here that this is a systemic problem and that's a, a very important point to make and let's um hone let's zero in now on the individual level so nicole you know you've done some reporting on how these instances of violence have had long lasting effects obviously the end of life but also what it means to the families of the survivors so can you speak a little bit about your approach to your reporting which i know is is to be very um humanistic and really think about the the, the human story behind what is happening happening here. So tell us a little bit about your approach and why why that's important to you. Yes. Yeah, so as a reporter, I I know like it's it's kind of like number one rule that I have to be willing to shut up and listen. <laughs> that's like the number one thing. You gotta listen to families and survivors without judgment and like with so much compassion. When you're speaking with someone who has gone through trauma you know, you really have to uh, just keep that in mind. Like, never never forget that. Never lose sight of that. You don't know, like, if people are, like, losing sleep, if they have lost their jobs, if they're having, you know, nightmares. You know, there's, like, so much. And then if they're just, they're really just sitting down with you and, like, opening up and, like, giving you their time, that's an incredible, incredible gift they are giving you. So I try to keep that in, in mind, like, all the time that, you know, like, people are giving me their time, they're they're sharing their stories, and I just try to not take that for granted. Um, um, a big part, too, uh, specifically about people who have lost someone to police brutality, is that often they are not in control of the narrative at all. They have no say in the outcome of investigations. You know, they may not even know what happened to their loved ones because, you know, is I mean, they they might have not been there or there's no body camera or like surveillance camera. The shock, they might not even remember like every single detail. In some way, like they have zero control, right? So one thing that I always remember is when I talked to the sisters of Sean Monterrosa, uh, he was a young man who was killed days um after George Floyd, you know, was killed last year. Um, this happened in uh, Vallejo, uh, well, Vallejo, California. I always say that wrong. <laughs> but, uh, you know, something that really stuck with me is that 
they kept telling me how important for them was to, you know, keep their uh, Instagram account, the Justice for Sean Monterros account, and I just keep posting, like, constantly. You know, like, I follow them, and they're always posting, like, stories, like, all the time. They're, like, super, super active. And one of the reasons is, like, the, one of the reasons why they do that is because you know, they, is there a way to keep talking about the case, to keep, you know, the information going, you know, the calls to action, and it's really a way uh, for them to do it without depending on, on whether someone else uh, gives, them a, gives them a platform, you know, being a journalist uh, or a politician, an official, you know, it's like they can own the narrative, you know, so that's something that, uh, you know, I kept you know, I kept in mind when I talked to them a lot that, yes, this is their story and they are giving me the honor of listening to them and really try to put that in, like, everything they say in, like, their lives in a story to share with others. Um, another thing is I try to treat every person I talk to the way I wish uh, a reporter treats my family. Like, if a reporter is talking to... My mom, my parents, my tias, my tios, mis abuelitos, like, I want them to be respectful and not only just listen to what they say and, like, take notes of what they say, but they, but really trying to understand what got them there and, you know, what got them where they are and why and why are they saying what they're saying. The whole story, you know, really, really listening to everything. And I think that I... I knew that by talking about like how I covered what happened in El Paso in the aftermath of the shooting, um, well, the massacre in El Paso like two years ago. It uh, just, when I was reporting on this, just hearing people's accents made me think about my own family because they all speak like that. <laughs> it was like seeing like my own family and it meant that, okay, these people I talked to, I, that I was talking to, they're part of my home. I mean, not only like, oh, yeah, we're all from El Paso and like we're all from the same city and like we know the same streets, we go to the same stores. But honestly, that they, we have, we share traditions, that we share something, uh, you know, deeper that or what our birth certificate says or like where school were. So I always like kept that in, in I always try to keep that in mind that if, uh, if I'm going to talk to somebody, I always think about how I will want my family to be portrayed and how I, I do gotta take in consideration not only who they are, but where they're from and, you know, what brings them to this moment talking to me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it really does matter, too, that you 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 can actually reflect their experience, right, that they're hearing these questions, these very sensitive questions at a, at a very vulnerable time in their lives from someone that I mean, obviously you can't understand their specific experience at that moment, but you have that familiarity as a Latina in this business. And, and so we appreciate the work that you do. Going back to La Defensa, I, I want to talk about some of the recent wins. I mean, you, you all are doing some tremendous work and thank you for, for highlighting the systemic changes that need to happen here in, in Los Angeles. Can you talk a little bit about, um, about Measure J, which I think is really impactful and important? And also tell me too a little bit more about your why. I know you started going into it a little bit, but tell, tell us more about your, your why and what, why you do this work. Thank you. And thank you for asking about Measure J. It's something that I'm incredibly proud of and got to work with a team of folks at LA County to make it happen. 
It's a ballot initiative that is intended to move 10% of locally generated tax dollars. So when you buy something at the store, when you pay your property taxes, like that money goes to a bucket. And we said, hey, don't add any more taxes, but instead reinvest what we already have there. And so Measure J passed last year with over 2 million voters. And it's part of our work that we're calling justice reinvestment, aka moving money out of the traditional system of harm and incarceration and the carceral system and into building out community-based resources, community-based support, and the decentralized system of care that we know will help people and support people. Um, we found this to be important because we need to build out the system of care. Uh, and this goes into my why, like why I do this work. I'll take a step back and say, when I was going to school, when I started college, I was like, oh, I'm going to go and get my bachelor's of criminal justice so I could be a cop. And the reason I was thinking that way was because growing up, my closest of closest loved ones were in immigration jails and prisons. Um, growing up, my closest friends, uh, growing up, they were in regular jails and prisons. My friend, his life was destroyed at 21 when he got convicted of sales of marijuana. Um, I have a couple of friends who are currently suffering through mental health uh, like needs, that, that they have mental health needs, and they have additional behavioral health needs, like reliance on the use of different substances, right? That has also led to, you know, cases being opened against them. Um, I also have been, have experienced violence myself. And when I've called 911, like, you know, the response that I got, you know, at one time LAPD said they didn't even get out of the car. They said we have more important things to do when called for support with, you know, intimate partner violence occurring in the home. And so all these experiences, uh, I was naive and young and said, oh, I could be the cop that wouldn't have arrested my friend. I could have been the cop that would have helped that would have helped me when I called for help when those things were happening. Uh, I could have been the cop that was more understanding. And when I went to school, like it. I, I found that there was definite, there was vocabulary, there was data to the things that I had experienced. And so it gave me a different way to talk about my experience. And in the Latino community, we don't talk about this stuff. And so even right now, like if my mom was to hear like some of the things that I talk about, like openly about the harm that I've experienced, like I, I think she would not be happy about it. But that's really the only way that um, I feel like I, I have been able to m move policy against people who have like their juris doctorates, who are the lawyers, the judges, like these these experts, because we are experts. It's just in, it's just different. And so my why is um, because I've seen too many people harmed by the exist by the lack of services. And I, I've seen I've, I've looked at the money and know that we need to move it to community. So that's what that, that that's going to college. Look, looking at that info made me realize that I could never change the system if I was a part of it. And so after now college, I do policy work and I'm grateful that I was able to find this space um, because it's like a big, it's like big solutions that are driven and informed by our community and community's experiences. So that's the why. And I'm just glad I, I was diverted away from that pathway that I thought that was the right one because you, you can't change it from the inside. Thank you. And, and, and we're so grateful for it, right? Because you're making such tremendous impact for Los Angeles and beyond. Okay, so now um, we're going to just pivot to our fun, <laughs> rapid fire questions so that um, we wrap this up. These are rapid fire, so qu you know, quick answers here. And the first question that I have for you, and um, we can start with Unisis. So what are you canceling or throwing a la basura is what we call here on Tabaneros. What is a you know, person, place, thing? What are you canceling? What goes in la basura for you? The patriarchy and the movement uh, to liberate our communities. That's, yes. That sounds like a lot of words, but really it's like toxic masculinity and the patriarchy makes 
the work very hard and often makes them hold the labor. So that's why I'm canceling that because I'm tired. Definitely. What about you, Nicole? What goes in la basura for you? I mean, COVID, so we all can be safe again, you know, and also like my dad is in Mexico. He cannot come because of the border restrictions. So I really want him to come, please come visit. Yes, that's so challenging for so many. So many people have that experience that you have, Nicole, of just being back and forth between the borders. There's so many of you that grew up back and forth on the border. And right now, it's so difficult for some folks that are not able to cross. So, yes, definitely. And uh, what are you celebrating, Nicole? What gets your matraca? Okay, you're going to laugh. I'm celebrating the return of Foul TV, you know, because I love my shows. And also, I mean, it sounds cliche, but uh, Hispanic Heritage Month because everybody's going to be celebrating who we are. And I'm looking forward to everyone talking about Latinos and like, you know, stories and like people that we look up to and like books. I love books. So I'm here for it. All of it. Yes. Yes, definitely. What about you? What what are you celebrating, Unices? Celebrating. It's going to be work related, but I'm really proud of it because it's taken us such a long time that last week the LA County Board of Supervisors approved putting $187 million into the priorities under Measure J, which is community investment, uh, supporting minority-owned businesses, supporting youth in LA County, supporting alternatives to incarceration. So that is not um, a penny to shy away from. It's, it's a good down payment and we got a long way to go, but it's one of the largest investments in the entire country into these priorities and into communities across LA County. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. And then still with you, uh, you know, this work is incredibly important. It's very, very heavy work, right? It's, it's really um, difficult work because you're up against so many systemic changes that need to happen. So how do you stay grounded? Where, where do you get your calma? My calma, where do I stay grounded? I think it goes back to the question of the why, like understanding that the current systems are what are harming our people. The lack of care is harming our people. And that slowly but surely we're getting to a place where one, we're getting people out. So we're liberating our folks and dismantling the mechanisms that get our people there. That's a lot to say that people, our people in community, our people in the jails, that's what keeps us grounded and motivated, at least me, to keep pushing beyond these systems that are based in white supremacy, based on the patriarchy that took a lot of the life power out of us. So the people keep me grounded. Yes. And for you, for you, Nicole, how do you stay grounded? Where do you get your calma? So I try to unplug no screens and do something that, uh, you know, connects me with my with my family. So I take care of my plantitas around my house. Um, mi abuelita Carmen, like she was a huge plant person. So I'm trying to and I mean, she passed away last year. So I'm trying to keep that alive. And it's in a way I, I mean, it's a way to reconnect with her and like something that she really loved to do, um, you know, keep it going. Yes, definitely, plantitas. Well, thank you so much for being on Tamarindo today. It was so wonderful to speak to both of you. I want 
want to tell you about a show that highlights women who are blazing a trail for the rest of us in business, entertainment, technology, literature, science, and every area of our society. Latina to Latina, hosted by journalist Alicia Menendez, lets you listen in on intimate conversation with some of the most fascinating Latinas in the country. Women like workers' rights icon Dolores Huerta, television star Gina Torres, and UN President Maria Espinosa Garces. So take a listen and subscribe to Latina to Latina wherever you listen to podcasts and visit latinatolatina.com for more. Join their community on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Latina to Latina. Oh, what a fantastic conversation. Absolutely loved talking to Nises and Nicole. Follow them, check them out. Always fantastic to talk to amazing mujeres that are doing great things. So, Ana Sheila, uh, again, you mentioned that you've uh, been running around, go, go, go. What has that been like coming from Mexico? You've been, to, you've been to San Diego, you've been to Los Angeles, you've been to Arizona. What has it been like for you these past several days? Yeah, I mean, I think it, that's the hard thing about when you're living somewhere else is any time that you are, you know, going back to the U.S. or uh, you end up not having enough time to do everything. So I, I definitely have felt like I've been nonstop. But a, a few cool highlights. One is I got to take the train from San Diego to Los Angeles to meet up with Brenda and then do a shoot that we're really excited about. Um, but it was so beautiful. Like we went along the beach and for like more than an hour and it was just so, um, definitely got a lot of calma for that. So that yes, was this is this is a podcast <laughs> that supports public transportation. Yes. I just took the Metro to, to my gym class. We love it. We love safe and affordable public transportation. Yes, it was beautiful. And then me and Brenda got to do a shoot that we we're excited about. And I wanted to share something with you, Brenda. So actually, Brenda and I were originally supposed to record that day. <laughs> and then we ended up just being too tired because we were shooting out in the sun. It was crazy, crazy, crazy hot. Yes. Hot AF, as they say. <laughs> and, but I realized not only was I super tired because of the heat and also because I had not gotten a lot of sleep, um, but also I had taken a gummy. <laughs> no wonder I people, <laughs> you, I mean, I just saw your switch turn off. Like <laughs> she was, she was, she was glam. She was looking at the camera. Uh, she was smiling. <laughs> she was showing teeth. She was looking fantastic. Then all of a sudden, boom, her brain shut off. That's when the hum the gummy hit. <laughs> the gummy hit. And here's the thing. I'm a very responsible, like consumer of, of any kinds of drugs, like super cuidadosa. Like I'm, I'm, very, very careful. But, um, you know, my girlfriend gave me a gummy and I was like, okay, cool. Like I didn't ask her about it. I just like, oh, it's a gummy. It was a really teeny gummy. So I thought I would be great. But it turns out yesterday she tells me, oh, I realized that the gummies were actually to help you go to sleep. Oh, shit. And they Dude, were really you potent. totally turned off. I was talking to a zombie. <laughs> and they were so potent. I, I literally was so exhausted. I think it, I really felt like my brain was fried. I was just so tired. And this, but I think the sun también, it was so hot. But that's what happened. So I, I <laughs> not surprised over so here. I just really want to be um, at PSA for always knowing it, always making sure you know what you're taking, y'all. So we support responsible. <laughs> consumption but really being responsible and knowing what you're taking so exactly that's my PSA for that <laughs> fantastic um well you know this is September 15th we know that it's a an important day it's also the kicking off of Latinx Heritage Month and 
we're excited, right? It's always Latinx Heritage Month here on Tamarindo and always an important time to reflect on everything that our community is doing, which is why we had some fantastic folks today that are talking about ways that we could do better for our community. But it, uh, there's been some recent exciting news about a Latina getting her pop proper spotlight. And this is Patricia Cardoso, who is the director of Real Women Have Curves. Ana Sheila, have you seen this movie or what do you know about it? So I haven't, I feel like this is the movie that I should have watched a million years ago. And I think, I feel like, I haven't seen it, but I feel like it was a turning point for our community because it was representing our community in in a more real way, también, no? Like it wasn't the, just the usual representations that we see. It was more it was more nuanced representation. And it also, I think, really highlighted Boyle Heights in, in a very vibrant way, which hadn't been seen before that. So I think it was a really important film. I would start with that. Right, but I think you you had a note to share about the uh, playwright for which this movie is inspired by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I had a chance to meet Josefina Lopez. And, and if y'all don't know her, so she was a playwright and she also has really... She is. She's still alive. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Sigue siendo. Yes, 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 gracias. But she's done a lot for the Boyle Heights community. She actually has a theater. And two cool stories about this is that I actually met Brenda speaking on a panel at that theater. So that theater does so much for the community. And I actually also had an opportunity to, um, I don't I don't think I had shared this with you, Brenda, but I, many years ago, I had wanted to do a documentary. You have to, I know this okay. story, I know this story, but tell the listeners, because it's yes. an exciting story. Tell a the documentary um, around um, women of color behind the scenes that were making movies, because um, we, wa- we wanted to see, I mean, we've been wanting to see more representation forever, y'all, right? And so I had a chance to interview Issa Rae back when she just had her web series, which was awesome. And then Josefina Lopez and like, with, and I didn't grow, I did not know what I was doing. So nothing happened with this film. I had a really broody camera. But anyways, I got to interview her and that was so special. And one of the things she mentioned is, you know, I thought she would have so much more success and so much more wealth. What she shared is like, that wasn't like como a turning point for her. Like she would have thought it would have been. And that's, I think, some something with, uh, some of what Patricia Cardoso also says, right? That you would think that would have just launched their careers, but that wasn't true. Yes, that is exactly the point of this article, which we will link on the show notes. It's an LA Time profile of Patricia Cardosa and talking about how this, you know, this movie, which I think is uh, 2002, so about 20 years old, um, she, Patricia didn't work for a very, very long time. So this just tells you a little bit about the challenges that women directors have, but also specifically Latina directors. And Cardoso credits Ava DuVarney for who hired her to direct an episode of Queen Sugar. And since that hire, she's been working again. But let's go back to Real Women Have Curves. Fantastic film. Definitely, Ana Sheila, something to do immediately is to go watch it. <laughs> but it's also you know about body positivity. It's also about um, sexual positivity as well like this the, the main character played by america ferrera she says you know i'm gonna have sex with you you know she owns who she is she stands up to her mother and the the scene at the end is fantastic because she finally makes it to new york city and uh and faces like this the scariness that is when you leave your home to go to a new city to go to college and without the support of your family it's a great story. Everybody should definitely see it. And we're, we're happy to say, too, that this movie is one of the 
It's the first Latina-directed film in the Library of Congress. With So you all got to see it. And another note on this article, which again kind of gives us a snapshot on how much more work we need to do than just have Latinx Heritage Month and how right. much more work we need to do to have more of our stories told, is that the, the movie also plays, uh, Lupe Ontiveros, I should say, she plays the mother who is kind of the villain here because she's the one that's not supportive of her daughter going off to college, an experience that I know um, many Latinas can relate to. Not me personally, but I know a lot of people have had this experience of having their family be very wary about daughters, especially going away to college. Anyways, Lupe Ontivero, she played in, she was an actress with a over 35 year career and was in over a hundred films. And she was not recognized the year that she died in the 2013, whatever they do at the Oscars, where they recognize all the actors that have passed away. And that just tells you how we continue to be invisible in terms of storytelling and that we have so much work to do and that we got to celebrate people like Patricia Cardosa. So here's my matraca to give Patricia Cardosa matraca. And what else yes. do you have to share about this? Anna well, I just wanted to say one last thing is just how you highlighted that Ava DuVernay is really who gave Cardosa like, you know, opportunities again. And just so just, and we've also heard Tania Saracho say the same thing. So just these give a matraca to what's mostly been women, like when they've gotten into the door, giving other women more opportunities. So just thinking about how whenever we can, opening the doors for others behind us because there aren't enough people looking out for us. So it has to be us. <laughs> yep. 100%. And with that, Ana Sheila, it's been a minute since we've done a basura, matraca y calma. So why don't we kick off with the basuras? So Ana Sheila, what do you got? Who's going in the basura? What's going in the basura? What belongs in that trash can? I mean, I guess this is a little bit serious, but I want to give a basura to the stigmatizing of fat people, especially around COVID. Oh, tell me more about this. Yeah, I feel like we've all experienced people passing or heard of friends of friends. And a lot of times people ask, oh, did they have health problems or, or were they fat? And it's like that question is, I feel like, inappropriate. And it's also kind of like dismissive, like, oh, well, they were fat or something like that. So I just, I've noticed a, a lot of that. So just like stigmatizing of, of different fat people. Phobia. And, and yep. yeah. Yeah. So as if their life was any less valuable to live, it, it, that's what it feels like. So I, I'm, I'm obviously, I feel like I'm not an expert on this, but that's just what I've seen and, and felt. And I just want to put that in the basura. 100%. Because that's what's behind that question. 100%. Well, they were right. fat, so they deserve to die. Yes, that is 100% percent what's behind that question and rightfully so especially as we're talking about real women have curves and body positivity we are putting that in la basura all right yeah. uh, i got a basura that's it, it also as trashy as that and that is governor greg abbott who is trash 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 this is the governor of texas and he is feeling like he's on cloud nine because he has suppressed voters and when we're talking about voter suppression we're talking about people of color. That is all that Greg Abbott and team care about is suppressing the vote of people of color. So those of you that are listening that are in California and other places, be grateful that we have a state that has actually been historically been expanding the vote. So Greg Abbott goes in La Basura for that. The state of Texas and Greg Abbott also go in La Basura for their completely cruel anti-abortion laws and the completely ridiculous thinking that he is going to just stop all rapists plus the overall complete garbage that Greg Abbott has been portraying that somehow immigrants and migrants from the 
south of the border are to blame for the ridiculous amount of COVID that is surging in that state. So, Greg Abbott, you are a piece of trash. That is just, there isn't a big enough trash can to put Greg Abbott in La Basura. <laughs> never, never. Whew, to counter that, what is your matraca? So I'm going to give my matraca to an app called Blinkist. Have I shared this with you before? I don't think so, but tell me about they it. They basically are book summaries of nonfiction books. And so I find it to be super helpful. I used to have it. I just redownloaded it again because it's been super helpful for me, especially um, as a coach, because a lot of nonfiction self-development books don't need to be 250 pages long. Oh, I agree. That's why I don't <laughs> read them. <laughs> I agree. They could literally <laughs> be 40 pages because that's all you're going to remember. If that, which is like the main points, everything else is just like, complementary to those main points. These books, they're basically book summaries. They give you the main points. If you want to look into them more, you can go look it up, but it's been perfect. So you can listen to a book basically in 10 to 20 minutes and you can either read the summaries or you can listen to them and you can highlight. I've been loving it and I've found it super helpful. So that's my matraca. Okay, Blinkist. here it goes. <laughs> yes. How about you, Brenda? Well, my matraca is Mexico Supreme Court, which voted to decriminalize abortion. Let's follow Mexico here in this country and not go backwards the way we've done in Texas. So matraca to Mexico for decriminalizing abortion. Abortion is self is, is, is self-care. Actually, it is self-care. It's health care. It's love. Abortion for any reason, anytime. All right. And yes. what is your calma, Ana Sheila? My calma. So me and my girlfriend have actually, and we don't, we don't do this every single day, but we've been trying to start our day praying together. And so actually taking a moment to sit with each other, we like hold hands and we pray and we really talk about like what we want for us today, or for that day together. And that's been so helpful because usually I would just meditate by myself and, but actually being in partnership in this, like reminds us of what our intentions are um, so that we don't come at each other from more wounded places, you know? So that's been really beautiful for us to start our day together setting intentions. So that sounds yeah. great. Awesome. 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 I would say that my calma today or lately has been um, believing in manifestation because shit has been falling from the sky and I'm grateful. So I was like, fuck, what else should I ask for? So, <laughs> so my calma is also matraca. Why not play matraca for this calma of the power of manifestation, which is kind of yeah. aligned to your calma as well. Yes, Call it Brenda. in, corazones. Yes. Call it in. It's been really beautiful to see, you know, things that you have said that you've wanted, just see them actually happen. So I just love when I get to see that for myself, but also for anyone that I work with and anyone that I care about. So matraca to that. And calma Yay, to that. <laughs> thank you. All, all, all of the things. All the things. Well, with, with that, well, we've we've had this episode. We've, we, I'm so proud of us and Ashayla for keeping up with this weekly schedule and and just getting to talk to such amazing people. If you all are listening to this, you already know our love language is Apple Podcast reviews and money. <laughs> you can hit us, give give us money. Please donate at tamarindopodcast.com. Also, if you have a a, a business or if you're a community-based organization that needs to get the word out, hit us up. That's what we're all about. So yes. uh, anything to add to that, Anashayla? As always, we appreciate the love. We appreciate the support. Being a Latinx, Mexican creative can is a labor of love. So 
Ayúdanos, Support ayúdanos. <laughs> awesome. Okay, with that, um, until the next time, ponte un suéter. Y cálmate, te calmo. Tamarindo Podcast is part of Sonoro Media. It is hosted by Brenda Gonzalez and Anashela Victorino. Producer Jeff provides original music. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and on Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. Support our show by sharing this episode with a friend, writing us a review on Apple Podcasts, or contributing financially to the show. All contributions, big or small, help us keep bringing you great conversations and free or low-cost events. To get in touch with us or to support us, please go to tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI 220099. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.